Good morning. I want to um, just uh, briefly talk about being Christ-like, you know, with Christ-like love and, you know, how that affects us and our relationships. You know, sometimes I think that at least I really used to and actually, honestly, occasionally today I think about this, but that, you know, life is too short to spend any time with people who suck the happiness out of us. You know, we deserve to feel good all the time, so make it happen. Anyone with a difficult friend, neighbor, or co-worker has faced this temptation to sever ties. And it's an enticing bonus that if we do, we will be called brave for shutting out a difficult person. But when the people affecting our happiness are simply awkward or annoying, this popular thought uh, spirals into sin and foolishness. If the people we should dismiss from our lives are just those who have let us down, well, haven't we failed often too? We have. And if a friend is genuinely trying to call out our sin, but it makes us uncomfortable or ashamed, is that the sort of relationship uh, we don't deserve? I feel that for Christians, this issue is especially complicated. Christ's body on earth is made of human bodies. It's inevitable that we'll encounter people we find annoying or depressing or weird or clingy or even downright mean in our um, small groups of friends or family. So what's our prescription? The Bible as ever offers a better way. Prescription, I think, number one, is to love one another. When it comes to fellow believers, God's instruction tends toward forbearance and away from escape. In uh, Ephesians 4, 2, Paul says, Bear with one another in love. And in Philippians 2, 4, uh, Paul also says, Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul also wrote to the Corinthians about love. In 13.7, he describes love in a way that guts the self-interested. Love bears all things. Love bears, with a chronically mopey friend, a perpetual ailment listing mother, father, sister, brother, a pessimistic co-worker. It, it is patience with the repeat offender and the depressed and the lazy. It also costs us something. Through Isaiah, God prods his people to spend themselves on behalf of others. In Isaiah 58.10, If you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Exhaust yourself, God says. Don't throw away the ones who make you tired, for we shall throw ourselves away. I guess you can say that. That's how I kind of think about it. I think forgiving another or one another is another you know, very important component of this. 
You know, we, we sin, and sin has serious consequences. Christians can never sin cheaply. Our hearts and our relationships pay the heavy price of every unkind word and thoughtless action. Thankfully, our all-wise God tells us what to do. He commands us repeatedly to forgive, implying an obvious premise that we shouldn't automatically turn away from someone who hurts us. Jesus' command to forgive, I think, is jaw-dropping. In Matthew 18, Peter asked the Lord how many times he should forgive one who wrongs him. Jesus' response to Peter is radical, leaving no room for grudge-holding or you must forgive your brother many, many more times than you think, 18.22. Though difficult to hear for the wronged, this is cause for great celebration for the wrongdoer. God forgives us many, many, many more times than we deserve. So shouldn't we do the same for each other? Also in Matthew 18, uh, Jesus offers a plan for believers who fall into conflict. It starts with confrontation, uncomfortable, escalates into involving others, especially uncomfortable, and culminates in involving the whole church, almost unbearable. Matthew 18 says, At that time when the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Stressful prescription is proof that casual withdrawal from a difficult relationship without first working for peace is simply not an option for a believer in Christ. You need to welcome one another. This newfound cultural philosophy of avoiding difficult people has an underlying worldview that should, quite frankly, alarm any Christian. Such thought suggests that we should curate our circle of relationships until the only ones left are those who make us happy all the time. Not only is this unrealistic, it's also unbiblical. Because before we can love or forgive others, we have to first welcome them into our sphere, knowing full well that they will let us down at some point and we them. 
God doesn't command us to call everyone an intimate friend or to uncritically give every person we meet equal influence over our lives. But he does command us that we engage everyone with love. In Matthew 5, 46-47, he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? In other words, get behind me. There are clear circumstances that call for avoidance, distance, or even permanent severance from from a relationship. Cases of abuse, for example, and the scriptures we've looked at here aren't all that exhaustive, but there are plenty of commands that command us to avoid the path of the wicked so as not to synchronize our steps. So which is it? It's tempting to appeal to Proverbs when we'd rather bail in Corinthians when we'd like to stay. But it's just not that simple. Deciding whether to cut someone out is weighty. It weighs on your mind and your soul. It calls for self-reflection before flipping the proverbial switch. We should ask ourselves, am I self-aware enough to make this decision? Could I be at all responsible for some of the difficulty I'm sensing in this relationship? Does this person entice me to sin in a way that I can't healthily address while remaining in proximity with him or her? Is there a way to maintain this relationship in order to minister to this person while also withdrawing some of my intimacy? Am I considering this relationship as something that should bless me instead of asking how I can first be a blessing? Our triad with God is a God of relationship, a community with others, though becoming a lost art is a cornerstone of the Christian life and should be handled with great care. Beware this newfound belief and beliefs that force us to look upon and look away when we should be looking within ourselves to solve this this, uh, most challenging problem. And once again, God wants us to be loving. In Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In 1 Corinthians 15, But someone will say, How are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they come? You fool! That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow does not sow the body which is to be, but is a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, New things have come. So in in Jesus Christ's name, love one another, forgive one another, 
and you will be walking truly with Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.